0: Welcome to In Transition, a program dedicated to the practice of content communication in the public sector.
1: Here's your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to In Transition, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke, and thanks for joining me. Today, we speak to a leader in the tech and innovation spaces, all of us who are working in government communications continue to wrestle with the changes and continue to look to see how we can squeeze the value out of this massive transformation that's taking place in order that we can communicate more effectively so we can strengthen communities and improve the well-being of citizens. But as we do each week, we start with the definition of just exactly what it is that we're talking about. So content communication is a strategic, measurable, and accountable business process that relies on the creation, curation, and distribution of useful, relevant, and consistent content. The purpose is to engage and inform a specific audience in order to achieve a desired citizen and or stakeholder action. So there we go, but to our guest each week, uh, our guest this week, it's Paul McCarthy, who's a senior executive in innovation and technology, and he has a fascinating background. He's currently the CEO and managing director of Online Gravity a global digital consulting firm, but he's also a consultant to Data61 and a program called Ribbit. And you will remember a couple of weeks ago, we did a double episode with Liz Jakubowski, who is the leader of Ribbit. And we'll come and talk to Paul about that in just a moment. But Paul has been involved in lots more than just the Ribbit Project there at the CSIRO. Previously, he's worked with IBM, he's worked with the Digital Media Group, New South Wales Government, and NICTA. And most interestingly, he's also been the chairman of the judging panel for the better part of the last decade of the largest digital media awards in Australia and New Zealand, which are known as the AMIAs. So he's a man with a lot of experience and he joins us on in transition. Paul, thanks for joining me. Thank you, David. Thanks for inviting me. So. As someone who's been around for a while, um, yeah. a, a good while, where where do you sit at the moment in terms of this this scale of this opportunity, and 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 where should people be in terms of trying to, you know, grab the most value today?
0: I think one of the biggest opportunities, David, that technology and, in particular, the web is offering us as individuals and as organisations, is the ability to uh, scale seamlessly. So, to work across borders is really one of the key, um, the key differences. You know that the online world has has created this uh, borderless economy, uh, which has. It's challenges, no doubt, but it has certainly a lot of enormous amount of upside.
1: It's interesting. I'm just listening to another um, podcast at the moment. It's a thing called Masters of Scale. And it's, oh, been, yeah. it's been put together by Reid Hoffman from Greylock, who was the the, the the founder of LinkedIn. And, and he makes this very point about this ability to scale. And it's, it's all about, you know, there's interviews with, you know, Sheryl Sandberg and Mark Zuckerberg and Brian Chesky from Airbnb. But the, the point that really sits at the heart of a lot of what he talks about is that you really have to um, act small but think big. So in the first instance, it's about that solution really has to solve a problem immediately um, for a small group before you can think about taking it large.
0: Absolutely. And that's a part of the concepts around, I guess, this lean, the lean startup sort of approach, solve problems um, uh, at a local level and then look to, um, but with a mind to how you can scale those um, using, using the power of the web.
1: But focusing focusing on those those smaller problems and, and looking um, to solve problems it, 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 is it a challenge for people to think about that in in terms of I, I want to get big I want to think about big things I want to solve big problems but really you know the challenge is you actually have to think small before you think big.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. I think being specific, there's so much. Um, Uh, untapped power in finitude and working on specific problems rather than thinking about general problems. And if you look at most of the successful businesses, they have a couple of characteristics. They solved a specific problem to start with. And and in most cases, they leveraged uh, the distribution network and power of the web. Um, So using another as I call them, online gravity giant, um, often to help their um, uh, initial growth.
1: So the online gravity giants being what the big platforms? Yeah, that's um,
0: that's exactly right. They're the they're the eight um, companies, technology companies that are over a hundred billion dollars in value. Um, six U.S. companies and uh, and two Chinese companies um, and. Um, Yeah, they've grown out of this, what I see as a new type of economics that's been brought about by technology and the web.
1: They are big and they are dominant uh, and they're very, very powerful. How best can people working in in government communication take advantage of the scale um, and the utility of these large platforms?
0: I think it's uh, the analogy that I use and I have... um, I've written a book called Online Gravity, which describes this process of economics uh, akin to uh, the formation of our solar system. Our solar system started uh, as a, a distributed um, space with a lot of uh, small rocks and dust. And through the force of gravity over millions and billions of years, it, it formed into larger rocks and those formed some of those formed into planets. And if you look at the our current solar system, it's characterised by a lot of white space or a lot of uh, empty space, uh, and eight planets. There are no dual planets. So similarly, in the online world, um, you know we've found that um, the, the, that uh, as new verticals have emerged of search, of social, of retail, they've been occupied by these these planetary giants. And I guess as individuals and smaller companies, um, we're not all going to be Alibaba or um, or um, Google, uh, but what we can do, a bit like NASA with their uh, Voyager probe, um, you can't send a small probe outside our solar system, you can't carry enough fuel. But what you can do is you can use the gravity assistance of Jupiter. So you can NASA um, catapulted Jupiter out of our solar system by... Um, by u- using its gravity to to their advantage. And in a similar way, um, companies like WhatsApp have created a messaging app uh, with 55 staff that was valued at $17 billion uh, and you know touched the lives of 500 million people um, by leveraging the gravity giant of Apple. And they launched their product on the iPhone at the right time in the early days of the iPhone, and they created a high-utility product that leveraged this Perhaps the most incredible platform at the moment, which is the smartphone.
1: Yeah, those, it's it's interesting using this analogy. These these plat these planets have come together very quickly, though, haven't they? The speed of 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 the scale and size of these companies um, is quite remarkable.
0: Absolutely, David. And it's really in the last ten years. I mean, the web's only been with us twenty years, but the last ten years has been when this. When, when we're starting to see these effects come into play, yes. And there's more to come. I mean, we're only really at the beginning. I, to, to extend the kind of planetary metaphor, I mean, I can see there's another there's another eight planets in the next 10 to 15 years that are going to emerge.
1: Wow, okay. So do, tell me a little bit more about those.
0: Well, I think um, what we're seeing is, you know, uh, as you sort of indicated with some of the folks that Reid Hoffman uh, is interviewing, you know, you're seeing new innovation and new functional diversity emerge on the web. So we're seeing, um, you know, the peer-to-peer space is very hot with um, Airbnb and Uber and uh, all these new business models that are being facilitated by the kind of dynamics of the web. And so you're seeing the rise of new new verticals. Um, I think we've barely touched the sides when it comes to health, education, Reg tech, we're seeing a lot of activity in in um, you know the interface between regulation and technology. So I think um, finance has still got a long way to go. There's been a lot of activity in in uh, fintech at a, at an enterprise level, at an industry level, but um, you know outside of PayPal, there hasn't been a huge amount of disruption in the in the uh, personal space. I think we're, we've you know for example, just imagine you know in Australia we. We love our houses and mortgage, you know, home mortgage finance underwrites the success of our big four banks largely. Um, Can you imagine if there was a global player in that space that offered cross-border loans uh, in an online platform? What would a a Google of home finance look like? And what would that do, importantly, to to the other players in that space? And could you imagine an Australian company, for example, emerging in that space? Well, could you?
1: Do you Absolutely. think you think an Australian company could do that?
0: It's not it's not um, entirely impossible and the ability to I guess um, create um, these businesses outside of California. I mean, the tech industry, as we know, has its roots originally in the East Coast in the US and then moved uh, you know to to what we now call Silicon Valley around. San Jose, but increasingly as it's moved to be connected with the web, it's moved up towards San Francisco. And we're seeing businesses outside of San Francisco. So Snapchat, for example, is in Los Angeles, um, and we're seeing smaller businesses, um, emerge all around the world. So this ability to slingshot, um, using other gravity giants, um, momentum and, and, um, gravitas. Means that you've got companies like Sky Scanner emerging in Scotland. Um, in Australia, we've obviously got Atlassian, we've got Campaign Moto, we've got um, you know probably 10 companies that are in that uh, 100 million dollar plus um, range. So yeah, I think we're, the possibility of um, of a of a gravity giant emerging outside of the US, or of course China, Tencent and Alibaba being there too, two giants. Mm.
1: How then, and actually, there's a few things I want to come back to, just because you know some of these issues that you raise around health, around regulation, around education. Obviously, government sits very much at the heart of of this next um, development of technology around those, because of, of of the role that government plays in each of those areas. But just, but just, what does government have to do, or what could government do here in Australia to assist in australia creating you know a genuine planet of its own whatever sector that might be in
0: yeah well i think it does it does come down to policy settings in some of these areas as you say that are traditionally you know they're in the in the public sector government remit um within that space um health for example um i think the government's already done some great things you know in terms of enabling um, consults to be um, bulk billed online. Um, uh, Health is an area I think that Australia has a a special role potentially. I mean, we if you look at our Nobel Prize count, you know, I think we've got about 12 uh, Nobel Prizes, um, none in economics or physics, to my knowledge so far. But um, I think the majority of them are health sciences or medicine. Um, We have you know, acknowledge strength in research in Melbourne at We High in Sydney at Garvin and, and many other institutes and universities. Um, we also have the, interestingly, um, David, we have the second most trusted brand in the health space worldwide, mm. being after the Mayo Clinic, it's the um, Flying Doctors Service, Um Which I think is, you know, partly through television and media, which we're also pretty good at.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. It's and it's interesting you raised that around health and the opportunity around health because I was at the Cooperative Research Centre Association here in Australia their conference a, a couple of weeks ago, and Bill Ferris, who's the chairman of Innovation and Science Australia, was asked very specifically where did he see the big opportunities in Australia, and he said health. He said that's where we could actually um you know, create some substantial global businesses here in Australia because of exactly what you've just said in terms of that 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 infrastructure. But what's the what what's the you know the, the switch that, that that you have to turn to actually make that happen? Yeah well I think
0: um open data plays an important part and I think that's a distinctive advantage that Australia also has that we have a we have a respect for and an interest in science and technology. If some, you know, if nothing else, we're a European sort of scientific experiment um, uh, and our willingness to sort of uh, to look at um, new approaches and methods can be seen in our, in a variety of industries. For example, the wine industry, you know, we're quite quick to adopt and adapt and create new, you know, the, the, the plastic cork, the screw top, um, uh, you know, which, you know, in in Europe, had a lot of resistance due to um, their long traditions. I understand, um, but Australia, I think, does have that advantage of being um, the, having a fresh outlook um, to things. We're a young, uh, young country in terms of our Western heritage, um, but obviously, we have, you know, a great, a great. Uh, traditional heritage as well, um, which we need to do more of, um, more to support. I think. Um, but coming back to the to the government, what can the government do? I think we are doing a lot. We do actually have a lot already, um, and I think more around open data um, um, and transparency is it would be a key thing. One of the things that's interesting. David, we've been thinking about at Data 61. We're doing some work in this area. It's sort of aligned to the Ribbit platform. In one of the success factors of California, if you like, as a tech sector, is it's uh, the market for information. And the secret to any market, you know, like public markets, I guess, uh, stock exchange have been stock exchanges have been very successful for commerce because they um, they provide a marketplace for information. The more information um, that uh, People have about a business or an industry, the more investable it becomes. Uh, it reveals the risk and re- reward um, uh, profiles more readily. And Australia, I think, has a as an interesting opportunity. Um, in uh, in California, you can get there's all these intelligence services that are emerging, like Crunchbase, another one called Mattermark, and they study very closely using data, big data, and data analytics. They study very closely. All the tech firms, everything to do with them—not just you know uh, who's running them, what are they doing, what uh, investments have they had—but also more obscure things like where are they based, what are their, which PR firms do they use, which um, you know where do they buy their coffee, that sort of thing. So <laughs> they're, they're, they're really interested in understanding because the rewards for getting it right are so high that um, it's um, it's worth studying these things. And I think so. There's this kind of um, information marketplace around companies Uh, and as um, you can imagine in Australia, imagine if we had that but not just for the tech sector but for all our industry, imagine if there was more uh, information around private companies um, to understand and qualify who do I want to trade with, what supply partners do I want to work with. You can see this in all areas I guess um, to do with provenance in our food, to better understand supply chains, um, to understand uh, employment decisions. Um, if I'm a graduate at a university, you know, I've got the choice of working for big famous brands that I know that have been around for hundreds of years or a whole range of emerging growth companies. But how do I know which ones are likely to be the Atlassians of tomorrow? And, you know, if there was more information in the
1: marketplace, I think Australia could do some pretty interesting things. So, f- for someone like a Crunchbase, who how do they make their money to em- employ the analysts to do the work? Is it the like, is it the big venture capital firms? Is it the merchant banks? Um, yeah, you know, yeah, it, that's uh, right. They're the ones who are paying for these reports.
0: Yeah, that's right, David. In in the US, it's largely driven by the investors, the investment community that pay for these services because the upside is so high. But interestingly, Crunchbase was born as a kind of uh, an an open source style project. So there was a kind of a base level of information. And we're exploring that idea. You know, at the moment in Australia, there's the Australian Business Register that that ASIC run. And you can get basic information. If you're trading with a company or you're thinking about working for a company, you can look up their ABN. That's all transparent, which is fantastic. Uh, You can find out where the business is registered. Um, and there's some basic information, Um, uh, ASIC does have more information like what what industry companies are in, and it would be useful, I think, to have a little bit more of that revealed so that companies could build other services on top of that. Um, And as you say, investors are one class of uh, users, um, but also uh, there's a whole range of other um, stakeholders, government, uh, employers, employers. suppliers, other companies, uh, competitors. Um, I think just more transparency in our in our business economy would be um, one way we could uh, increase competitiveness locally and then that will lead to uh, greater global success, which is I think the end game.
1: Yeah. And a fantastic use of the unemployed journalists who are losing their job in traditional <laughs> media.
0: Well, that's right, absolutely. What <laughs> a be... use those talents! Yeah.
1: Well, exactly. I, you know, I'm sitting here as a former, as a, well. You know, I'm once a journalist, always a journalist, and I always have these conversations with my friends all the time who are, you know, often looking and thinking about their futures. And something like that, this would be a, um, you know, incredibly valuable um, way for them to apply their skills. But, Absolutely. but but interestingly, I think at the heart of something like this is something that I'm always wrestling with is this this change in technology and and what it's doing to the economy and what it has to do to your mindset. You know, the traditional mindset of I own the intellectual property, or I own this process, or I, and I'm going to hold on to this, and I'm going to leverage this into whatever marketplace that it is, and that's going to be the way that I capitalise, you know, my um, intellect, I suppose, or the, or the value I can create. Whereas it, it, this new economy f- is forcing you to be open, and I think the more open you can be, the more you will be rewarded. Because you can, you can, uh, you can only be if, if you, the only way that you can reach scale is if you are open. Because if you hold, if you hold things too tightly, they can't, they can't move, they can't grow, they can't flow to where the need is.
0: Yeah, that's very insightful, David. I think you've hit it on the head. It's how to access these global networks. You need to be there's a degree of porosity or openness. You need. Um, And the idea, and this is actually a a challenge for Australia because I think culturally there's probably, uh, we are changing and we are becoming, especially in the tech sector, I think there's quite a degree of um, sophistication and maturity that's emerged over the last 10 years. Um, But um, we need to be, the idea of hanging on to your idea and or, you know, that that, um, this sort of rent-seeking behaviour um, that, that... people, you know, oh, I've got the best idea, that sort of thing, is um, it just doesn't work. You know, it doesn't work in this, in this economy, and I think you need to be... Um, uh, the, the real success is in, in execution, as they say in the tech sector. You know, it's all about um, everyone's got great ideas. In, in, uh, in California now, if you turn up with a non-disclosure agreement and say, I've got a brilliant idea, I want to tell you about it, I want you to sign this thing to protect my idea so you don't
1: tell anyone they laugh at you you know they
0: they, they sort of say where's this guy from yeah
1: (laughs) well it's but that mindset's still there and i and i know in my own heart like we've, we've invested quite a bit of time and effort and energy into a process that we think is going to be very valuable for governments around the world in order for them to be able to communicate more effectively to start to um address the trust deficit that we've got, you know? So, uh, but anyway, we're investing time, effort and energy. And some of my advisors are saying, well, you know, well, that's great for us and let's hold on to it. And then I have other advisors who are saying to me, no, you're mad. So <laughs> it's, it, it, there is that, um, tension, uh, between the, between the two. Um, so I want, how, how do you make people comfortable with this idea of letting it go? I think the thing is by example, you know. Like anything, I don't. I think that's the only way
0: you can teach people. And I think Australia's the maturity that's emerged from our tech sector has partly been by seeing other people do it successfully. And um, you know, I think, um, yeah, just sort of understanding that 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 um, that you need to you need to be able to connect with. Um, you know global players and be open and and it's a bit like um as an individual you know there's that that kind of um expression which i quite like um be yourself because everybody else is taken <laughs> <laughs> um which i think sort of applies to you know this idea of executing on your own ideas too because i think um you know, people get worried. Australians, sometimes particularly Thomas Barlow, who's a friend, who's an author and um, a consultant in the higher ed research sector, is um, very insightful guy. He, he he wrote a book about Australian science um, called The Australian Miracle. And um, his point, the key point, was that I think Australia ha- Australians often have this idea that we're we're brilliant inventors. You know, we've got this idea we come up with the um, coat hanger and chewing gum solution to everything. <laughs> And, um, and it turns out, if you look at the data, we're actually not that much better than anyone else, and probably <laughs> the same. But we, the other side of it is we we, we think that we're really crap at commercialising things and that everyone steals our brilliant coat hanger ideas and <laughs> makes off with the money. And if you look at the data, in fact, we're actually just as good as everyone else at commercialising our ideas. So um, I think this idea of... Um, I think we've got a kind of a probably distorted perspective of ourselves as being this um, small but very inventive comp- country that gets all its ideas stolen. And closer to the truth is probably we're, we're just as good as everyone else. The only truth in that statement is that we're small. Um, and um, I think that, you know, recognising that we're small, we do have some good ideas, we have some amazing ideas, like but so does everyone else. And I think that we need to be more open to the idea of, connecting to other people's ideas and also backing ourselves you know sort of saying that we you know sometimes we do have the best ideas sometimes it's better to take other people's ideas and
1: yeah yeah so with in, interestingly this sort of next wave of of innovation this next wave of you know the the next planets that are going that are going to be built are going to come out of the you know, the younger generations who are, you know, currently in the education system and emerging with these, new, you know, with their new ideas about what they think and the problems that they think they're going to be able to, to solve. As someone with a, a role there at Data61 and involved in the Ribbit Project, you're looking very closely at this cohort as they come through. What what are you seeing? And and are you encouraged by what you're seeing there in terms of the people who are going to come through and lead this next generation
0: of innovation? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the current generation of talent in Australia is extraordinary. And uh, and I think um, uh, the thing is that we are now probably in a much better, the Ribbit platform, um, I'll give it a plug, Ribbit.net, which is a an Airbnb-style platform to connect um, higher ed students, students at university to... Um, work career related work and i'll just
1: i I can give it a plug as well because we have now just uh employed uh uh, one of the graduates who through the ribbit program and actually as of yesterday we've made him an offer uh of full-time employment and so we'll be going back to ribbit to get some more people uh in good time so yeah great service and i would recommend it to anybody if you're looking for smart young people so there we go
0: good on you david yeah thank you yeah, so I think that's the idea also, I think people talk about the millennial, you know, there's all this talk about millennials and what, what's special about millennials. And I mean, I must say I'm a bit old-fashioned. I sort of think, well, aren't they just young people? You know, <laughs> yeah. you know I, my, my, I'm, I'm probably in the other end of the spectrum, but I, I sort of go, well, we, we did things differently too when we were young too, but... but um, I think the thing is what is different is you know the Australian government's really got behind this you know ribbit platform and I think um it's um it's still early days but it's got such such potential you know there's that's the difference to you know when I was when I was at uni trying to find a job there was a kind of notice board with with pins um at the uni I was going to you know like this uh, pin board which was fantastic you know and, and it actually was instrumental in 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 my ability to to, um, succeed in my university and and later career but um but i think that this idea of having an online matching platform that has some smarts to it that can really find the gems of students that are ideal for a role and use some of this artificial intelligence and new ways of looking at students and then on the other side how do i find these really exciting new high growth companies you know what that are aligned to my interests.
1: Yeah. Like no. the content group. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's funny you say that and we are that exactly, you know, and we're yeah, going to continue exactly. to grow and compound in growth. There's no doubt about that at all because we do have um, those global ambitions and we are going to – we're going to do it actually And but we are going to do it off the back of some of these very smart young people who can come in and – and plug the gaps really in some of the knowledge um, and some of the behavior as well. It's just different. You know, I'm an older guy and so I just don't quite think often um, the way some of these people do and um, some of the presentations that I'm seeing... Uh, in the last few days, is like wow, this is really, this is really going to make some some difference to us. So, I would encourage anybody, and even people working in government, I think there's there's a real opportunity to get talent into government because I think a lot of people do want to do good. Um, and I think uh, Steve Case has written a book recently about the increasing importance of government, particularly in the reg- regulatory space, as uh, technology continues to transform industries. You know, in health in transport, in education. So there's going to be very important roles to play for people to in, to enable um, through the government platform um, a lot of the new business and a lot of the new opportunities as as we move in into the future. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's
0: right. That's right, David.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, Paul, thanks very much um, for spending a bit of time with us today. We're right up against time and probably not quite exactly where um, – you know, generally we are talking about content, and we're talking about you know the gift of you know technology as it relates to content. So, how do we do, um, you know, how do we create better uh, video, audio, stills, text, graphics? How do we communicate? Because ultimately, the the connective tissue in all of this is is the story. Um, and people have to get better in telling the story and government has to get better at telling their story because um, as somebody obviously with experience in government um, you may you may not agree with me but government has in my view is not a great storyteller that they, they do so much good and there is so much value locked up into these in, into in their organizations that you just think why aren't you telling people this in a form that they want to um, receive the information in the channels where they're actually um behaving at the moment you know what or, or, or occupying at the moment that's right. you know, why yeah. aren't you there in a way that's consistently telling that story over time but i, I think that's improving as well we've just done some research around our particular um audience group and we're very focused on government and and it's improving. And what we're seeing is that people are, are, are taking on this challenge of becoming better communicators and I think the leadership at the political level um, are – releasing the, the control and senior levels of the public service is starting to get a little bit more relaxed with the fact that, well, we've got to use these platforms. We've got to get out there and, and create and deliver better services. So I th- I'm very optimistic. How would you be? Or how are you as someone who is a you know, a senior person in the innovation and tech space as you sort of sit just to the side of government, but looking back, back in, what, what sort of things are you seeing at the moment?
0: yeah i do I do see I think there is there are leaders and innovators in government, and I think um, certainly communication is is an area that needs to you know it's a key a key part of government that needs a lot of focus always, and um, the success of a lot of governments, I think is you know in part due to strategic communication. So partnering with people like yourself that you know that understand that, I think is really. Valuable. And, and as you say, as, as audiences have moved onto new platforms, there's new ways of engaging with audiences, particularly young people, um, and how do, you, how do you make sure that those, you know, those stakeholders are, um, are kept in the loop and, and that kind of feedbacks, um, you know, you get feedback
1: from those people. Because would you agree with me that there is so much good locked up in government that they really, you know, they, they do have a good story to tell?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, no, without doubt. And I think one of the things I always thought was um, still do is there's not enough respect probably given to to public office in Australia. I think, you know, uh, even in the US, which is much more a market-led economy, though, I think the role of um, people working in government, uh, people, that you know, they get a lot more respect. And I think part of that is probably understanding, understanding the benefits of, you know, that we all get from government and government services um, so I think that's a really important message to sell.
1: Mm.
0: One of the, one of the things I, I think uh, I interviewed this woman as part of my book in the U.S. She's a, a global taxation expert, and I said, "How come is you know like obviously different countries? Sweden is quite happy to sort of pay 60, 70 percent in the dollar, 70 cents in the dollar, um, whereas in the U.S. they're sort of um, unhappy about paying 15 cents in the dollar." Um, effective tax rates, and um, she said that once you get rid of government services and outsource education, health, and ultimately things like security, as has happened in the US, you know, there's private private security, um, you know, private education, private health care, then people are very unhappy to pay for the kind of things you don't see. So there's potentially, a, you know, I think a really important role there if we want to have a strong, um, strong government to communicate the value that they are delivering.
1: Indeed that is the challenge and I will return to that challenge right now because I've got a few government agencies I have to go and help to uh, tell a better story. So Paul um, thank you very much um, for giving up a bit of your time today. So just when did the book come out and and how can people find out about more about you and more about the book?
0: Sure well um, the book Online Gravity it's published by Simon & Schuster in Sydney and London um, it's available now uh, online. You can visit the website onlinegravity.com or just buy it at any bookstore around the world. Um, it's being translated into Chinese, I'm excited to announce. Oh, wow. so, uh, uh, Sci- SciTech, which is the largest um, publisher in China, is publishing it later this year. So um, that'll be a bit of excitement for me. I've just come back from my first trip to China, actually, which was a, a
1: massive sort of um, tech... <laughs> That is, yes, exactly. Well, we could talk again and we will talk again. I think um, over the next little while, let's come back and have some more conversations because I'm interested actually that you you made a point very early there around, you know, being specific, being narrow, you know, not solving broad problems, but being, you know, specific. And this is this whole, you know, sense of content communication is that you've got to be narrower and the narrower Uh, the better uh, because that's where the world's gone. We've gone from the broadcast world to the narrow cast world, you know, that narrow interest. So anyway, that's a conversation for another time. I've taken up uh, enough of your time for today. So Paul, um, good luck with the the book, Online Gravity. Um, Best of luck with also the – consulting business as well. That's going to be, I'm sure, a, a massive success and good luck with Ribbit and and the ongoing success there. So uh, thank you to Paul McCarthy and thanks to you, um, the audience, the listener, uh, for once again, tuning in to In Transition. A great conversation there with Paul McCarthy and I'm very grateful to his time. And I'm grateful to you for uh, giving up a little small part of your week to have a further conversation about content communication in government. So, but for the moment, I'll be back at the same time next week, but for now, it's bye for now. You've been listening to In Transition, the program dedicated to the practice of content communication in the public
0: sector. For more, visit us at contentgroup.com.au.